Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another Thursday night edition of BAMS Radio. I'm Thomas Watts, your producer, part-time host, full-time awesome. And uh, we had a heck of a game this past week, didn't we? I'm still a little stressed, I admit it. But Alabama came out with a 10-0 victory over the LSU Tigers, and I couldn't be more relieved. But, you know, we're going to spend most of the good part of the show talking about that. But we've got a pretty good show, at least I like to think we do. Uh, Drew DeArmond is covering the commitment of John Petty in Huntsville. He's supposed to commit at halftime of his high school basketball game. Uh, spoiler alert, it looks like things are coming up crimson if you're listening live. But uh, he'll actually be joining us in the second hour. We'll be shooting, shooting the breeze, getting his opinions on both the Petty commitment as well as the uh, Sexton basketball commitment earlier tonight. And we're also going to talk to him about LSU. But... Uh, it's, it's going to be a good show. Like I said, I apologize. I just stumbled all over myself. But he also sent us a little bit of conversation audio he had. He talked to Antonio Langham today, and he actually got Antonio pinned down to say which defense he thought was better, the 92 defense or the 2016 defense. So that's certainly something to look forward to. But, you know, the other thing we're doing, like normal, we're going to have our first hour with William Redfish Barger. I'm going to be picking his brain about both the LSU game and the Mississippi State game, as well as this this somewhat new development. Uh, I know if you haven't heard, the Crimson Tide has been using a lot of former players as scout teamers, essentially bringing them back to be, you know, to simulate and uh, the best player that Alabama will face. For example, uh, this past weekend, Trent Richardson was simulating Leonard Fournette. And former Bama quarterback John Parker Wilson played the part of Danny Etling. Before that, Blake Sims was simulating Trevor Knight. And it's caused a little bit of a backlash. You know, astonishingly, Nick Saban bending the rules and finding a loophole to get an advantage is causing a backlash. Shocker, I know. But Brian, Notre Dame's Brian Kelly of the haven't won a game since, you know, last year, basically, ter- terrible, having a terrible season – has decided to try and shift the goalposts away from his terrible team and complain about Nick Saban doing that, calling it ludicrous. So I'm certainly going to pick Redfish's brain about that. You know, once again, spoiler alert, I think Brian Kelly's desperate for any sort of storyline that does not involve his fighting Irish getting their faces kicked in week in and week out. But, you know, let's talk about the LSU-Alabama game real quick. I have to give Redfish a couple of minutes to get ready to rock, but... A solid performance from the Crimson Tide, the Crimson Tide defense, as has been said ad nauseum, held the LSU Tigers to 125 total yards. If you want to go down the rabbit hole and play with numbers some more, which if you know me, know that's what I do, If you, t- you have to take 41 yards of that away because that was on one completion. So, you know, technically LSU had, eh, call it 80, 84, if I'm doing math in my head quick, which is both awesome and terrifying at how good the Alabama defense was. Leonard Fournette's Heisman Trophy hopes have once again been derailed by the Alabama front seven. You know, stick a fork in Leonard's hopes. They are done. But, you know, you know, virtuous performance in the Alabama defense, 
and the Alabama offense. They were they were fits and sputters, and I'm going to certainly get uh, Fish's take on some of the play calling as well as some of the play, plays and players that we saw. I personally don't have as big an issue as some other fans do with the play calling. I thought it made some semblance of sense. It was a lot less that Lane Kiffin called awkward plays in many cases, but instead LSU defenders made great plays to blow up a few plays that would have gone for first downs early or even late. And even with all of that said, it's a different kind of dominance when you as an offense manage to hold the ball for something like 16 of the eight last 18 minutes of the game, which the Crimson Tide certainly did. So, you know, I, I, great performance from the Alabama group. Let, let's do this. You know, if you've been listening to the show the past couple of weeks while Drew's been doing his thing, I've had to take a quick little breather, you know, about five minutes in after I do the brief showdown, run, rundown of the show, excuse me, and uh, give my little soliloquy. Let me go ahead and do that. Let me go ahead and play a little music, get a hold of Redfish, and we will be back with more BAMS Radio. God, I see headlights. I made it down the coast in 17 hours, picking me a bouquet of dogwood flowers, and I'm hoping for rally. I can see my baby tonight. So rock me, mama, like a wagon wheel. Rock me, mama, any way you feel. Hey. I pick a banjo now Oh, no country where the people getting me down Lost my money playing poker so I have to be down And we are back for some more BAMS radio And I have a cohort uh, You know, I, I know football But this guy makes me look like a football newbie So let's go ahead and welcome 1992 national champion And uh, regular part of our program William Redfish Barger Fish, it's great to have you on How you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Thomas. How are you, buddy? Uh, you know, I was so stressed about that LSU game, and then I was getting ready for the show, and I realized I was still somewhat stressed, and then, you know, 10-0, baby. I take it all the time. It's a great, it's a great time to be a Bama fan. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yes, it is. So, so, you know, Fish, before I got you on, I have to say that I was – you know, perusing, getting ready for the show, and I saw the Brian Kelly comments on former players being on scout teams. He called them ludicrous. And uh, I personally, you know, 
I said this once. I'll say it again for your benefit. I think he's desperate for anything to get uh, get eyes away from the fact his team's getting their faces kicked in week in and week out. But what were your what are your thoughts on the former players being scout teamers that Nick Saban has done over the past couple of weeks? Uh, because I haven't heard this before until you just said it. What what did Brian Kelly say about it? Essentially, he just called it ludicrous. It, 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 almost similar to what Nick Saban called uh, the, the, the hurry up, no huddle a few years ago. Is this what we want college football to become kind of language? And j- just basically saying it shouldn't happen was what he was going for. Well, I'll say this. I mean, uh, you know, I think Nick Saban's gone on the record and, you know, basically said that he's explored, you know, every option with the NCAA. Uh, They gave him the green light, and, you know, it is what it is. I think it's another perfect example of Nick Saban playing chess while the rest of college football is playing checkers. Um, Now, you know, from a personal standpoint, uh, you know, I get it that, you know, Blake Sims is doing it and, uh, you know, a guy like Trent Richardson that's still trying to, you know, get on with an NFL team, you know, where I think there's there's some sort of, you know, gray area there is, is where somebody like, a, you know, a John Parker Wilson who's got a very good career here in Birmingham, uh, you know, doing it. But, you know, that being said, it doesn't matter to me. Um, you know, again, if it's not a violation, if, if rules aren't being broken, then that I, I don't understand why people have such a big problem with it, Thomas. I, I can certainly understand that side of it. I, I saw the philosophical, uh, philosophical side of where Brian Kelly was going and, uh, eh, whatever, man. Whatever, you know. But let's talk. Let's talk what happened between the white lines. You know, obviously Alabama had that 10-0 victory against the LSU Tigers, and you know, just looking right at it, I was very impressed with the defensive side of the ball. What were your general thoughts looking at that unit coming out of the game in Death Valley? Well, you know, I, I freely admit I had the game tagged wrong. I thought Alabama, um, you know, would score more points against them. I thought. LSU would score some points. I think my final prediction was uh, 31 to 13. So, you know, obviously I had that a little bit out of whack. But, uh, you know, I think any time you can get a shutout on defense, uh, that, that tells you a lot about that, that, that side of the ball. Um, you know, I think Alabama obviously left. Um, you know, when you look at, you know, them getting down there on the goal line and getting stopped and they didn't get any points out of that deal. Um, you know, probably realistically, if, if things were clicking on all levels, it should have been 20 to nothing. Um, but, again, I don't ever begrudge Alabama or any other team for, uh, you know, guys like me and you predicting what the score is going to be. Um, but, you know, it, it was a – any time you can come out of Death Valley with a win, regardless of the score, um, it's a great win. That is, you know, probably one of the two or three toughest places to play in college football, especially at night. Um, you know, and I think where all the angst is coming from is, you know, the, the Alabama nation is, you know, frustrated because – as good as he is, 
you know, I think they're starting to buy into the fact that um, they're, they're getting, you know, national media saying that, you know, Jalen Hurts is a running back playing quarterback and he can't throw. Uh, you know, Thomas, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but uh, if he's a running back, you know, trying to play quarterback and, you know, his best effort was completing that 50-yard bomb to uh, our Darius Stewart. I want a lot more running backs that can play that position. No, I, I absolutely agree. I do not buy into that sentiment. I think he has more developed skills as a runner. I think that's unequivocal. But if you watch this young man play football, he does have some development to do as a passer. I think that's also unequivocal. But the ingredients are there. I mean, you watch some of the passes that he's made, that like the bomb to Ardarius Stewart. That was a well-thrown ball. Uh, I can think of a completion that he had to Calvin Ridley against Ole Miss right after the 24-3 uh, scoop and score. That was a well-thrown pass. So, and, there, you know, again, there have been some misses, and that happens. But I just I can't jump in in that. Now, and I do agree, if, if – if he's a running back playing quarterback, then wow. <laughs> what will Alabama do if they get an actual quarterback? <laughs> well, you know, Thomas, the reason I made that, that comment, um, and, you know, I know this guy's a friend of the show, but, I, you know, living here in Birmingham, you know, I can now pick up, uh, you know, the, the Tuscaloosa ESPN station um, on my way home from work. And, you know, that's, Ryan Fowler's show um, on what I, I think it's 102.9 here in Birmingham. I don't know what it is in Tuscaloosa. But uh, yeah, he had a couple of guys uh, Tuesday night that called in. One of, them, one of them was Bill. The other one was Biscuit. And, you know, one of them said, you know, hey, uh, you know, when is Nick Saban going to wake up? Uh, we can't win a national championship with this clown that we've got playing quarterback. And, you know, Thomas, I ain't going to lie to you. I was so mad. You know, I, I texted Brian Fowler right there on the spot. I was stuck in traffic on my way home from work on I-65. And I said, for the love of God, um, you know, this was at like, uh, you know, 555. Uh, and, you know, that show goes off at six. And I said, for the love of God, put me on the the show right now. Um, I want to address this, you know, Bill or Biscuit, whoever it was. And, you know, I, I, I just wanted to say to that particular caller, you know, this is the best that Alabama football is ever going to be. Um, you know, you, you, you've got a guy, Nick Saban, that has brought this program out of the dark ages and has won, you know, four national championships. You know, they, they've dominated everybody that they've played. And, you know, we've got some Walmart T-shirt wearing son of a bitch that has called into this radio station and is, is calling our starting quarterback a clown. Um, look, I, I get it that, that people are concerned about, you know, the downfield passing game. And if you want to call into any radio show and say, you know, hey, I'm concerned about this, I'll respect your opinion, and I won't say anything about it. 
but to call Jalen Hurts a clown, um, you know, this is a kid that, that turned 18 in August, um, that, that made plays on the road at Old Miss after getting, uh, excuse me for saying this, his proverbial dick knocked in the dirt um, after that play. Um, let's fast forward to, you know, Knoxville. He got it again, uh, bounced back, made, made, made explosive plays. Yeah. You know, Thomas, you know, I hate to say this, but the people that call in and say these kind of things, they're racist. And there, there's no other way to explain it. Um Anybody that is not a fan of Jalen Hurts with what he's done with his football team, and I get it. You know, I'm a I'm a football guy. I understand what his uh, inadequacies are. Um, and I, my, my point to that would be, um, if you want to see those things improve, you're not going to see them improve until December when they've got 15 practices. Because I don't think people realize this when they call into these radio stations and they say this stuff. You know, he didn't have the luxury in August where he was the starting quarterback at Alabama. You know, he was sharing reps with Blake Barnett. He was sharing reps with Cooper Bateman. You know, even to a lesser extent with David Cornwell. Um, But, you know, you've got an opportunity, a learning opportunity for him. you know, if Alabama, you know, beats Mississippi State, you know, beats UT Chattanooga and beats Auburn, um, you know, they go to the, the SEC championship game and they go to the playoffs. You've got a great learning opportunity for Jalen Hurts to get better at throwing the football um, in those 15 bowl practices in December. Uh, and that's not a luxury that he was afforded going into the season because he was sharing the reps with Blake Barnett and Cooper Bateman and maybe to a lesser extent, you know, David Cornwell. But if you're an Alabama fan and you come out of, you know, that big win Saturday night versus LSU, you know, why is this your, you know, M.O. to go on the radio and and start talking about, you know, Jalen Hurts being a, uh, he called him. He, he called him a clown, and I just don't get that, Thomas. I mean, you know, I think you know this goes back to politics and the election. Uh, you know, why do you celebrate people's failures and not celebrate their successes? And I just don't get that about where we are as a society, or you know, as, as Alabama fans. Why, why you don't get this about, you know, being uh, behind Nick Saban, you know, operating, you know, for the last 10 years, the greatest football program in the history of college football. Because I'm going to tell you what, uh, the day that he retires, uh, things are going to change dramatically for Alabama football fans. Um, I'm not saying it's going to, you know, jump off a cliff, but when he's not guiding the ship anymore, uh, things are going to change. And I just don't understand, you know, people that want to call into a, a talk radio show and call, a, a you know, a guy that turned 18 years old in August a clown. 
and not appreciate what that guy has done in, you know, uh, uh, hostile environments at Oxford, Mississippi, in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, um, you know, what he's done in home games. You know, let, let's celebrate what he does good versus what his failures are. And, you know, you know, Thomas, that's why, you know, I'm probably only on a uh, a podcast with you uh, on the Internet because I, I just don't even understand my own fan base that complains about this crap. It drives me insane. Well, I sympathize. Uh, I had to pretty much swear off social media for the past 36 hours post-election because um, let's just say that football and politics have a way to turn what are normal thinking human beings into rampaging morons with wondrous alacrity. But, you know, I agree. It's, I refuse to really be that critical of Jalen Hurts. I know I've said on BAMs and my other program that he does need to take steps forward as a passer, but there's time for that, and it's not like he's a bum. So it's it's a it's much more an acknowledgement that this does need to happen. But it, I've been very careful to say this is not meant as a as a harsh your bad criticism, which you know people can misconstrue. But but you know, fish. We're talking about Jalen Hurts, and you know I think he's made enough plays that he, he, he's justified in both of our eyes. But I wanted to ask you, and this is a guy that really stood out to me during the game this past Saturday. How good has Cam Robinson been over the past month in your eyes? <laughs> well, you know what, Thomas? It doesn't really matter what I think. Um, you know, some people that do a really good job at judging this stuff – um, you know, there's a, a group out there that's called the College Football Film Room, and they put this tweet out today. And against Tennessee, Texas A&M, and LSU, Cam Robinson graded out the highest offensive lineman that they've ever seen. And, you know, put, to kind of put this into perspective, I think you have to say, Okay, so who was this against? Well, it was against Derek Barnett, Miles Garrett, and Arden Key. All three of those guys, I can sit here and tell you with a straight face, all three of those guys will be top 20 NFL draft picks in the first round. Cam Robinson graded out with one quarterback hurry and, you know, as Alabama fans, we can all figure out that one quarterback hurry was when, you know, Derek Barnett hit Jalen Hurts up there in Neyland Stadium and dislodged the ball. But we're talking about a guy that is so talented. Um, he faced three top 20 NFL draft picks, and the only thing that he gave up was that, you know, it was unfortunate, but, you know, let us, you know, talk about being real. Um, you know, the, the the play where, you know, he got hit and Jalen Hurts gave up the fumble and, you know, it didn't have any impact on the game. But that is who Cam Robinson is, and I think he has made himself 
a ton of money by going up against guys like Derek Barnett and Miles Garrett and, and Arden Key. Uh, two weeks from now, he'll have a chance to do it again uh, versus Carl Lawson. But, you know, take the penalties out of it because um, I know that's, you know, what a lot of Alabama fans like to look at. But when it comes down to nut-cutting time, what this guy does is the best in the business. Well, simply put, I, I agree. I saw those statistics, and I figured that yeah, I had hoped you had, but if not, I was going to totally softball them to you. <laughs> well, but you but, know but, what, you know, Thomas? It, you know, I would appreciate you softening me, but at the same time, I, you know, I want you to sit there and see that stuff and say that um, as an Alabama fan, which I know you are, I, I would tell you if I thought that Cameron Robinson was having – a bad senior campaign, and I understand where people are coming from. Yeah, he's jumped off sides. Um, He's had probably, you know, too many mental errors. But at the same time, how many of those mental errors have been game-changing mistakes? Now, if you talk about when they're down there in the red zone, you know, inside the 10-yard line, and he does it, and he's had a couple of those. But at the end of the day, when you're talking about a team that is playing a true freshman quarterback, um, I think that guy has made himself so much money when you look at the fact that um, he's faced Derek Barnett three years, uh, giving up one sack. Um, He's faced Miles Garrett three years, giving up one sack. Um, I think he's faced Arden Key twice, uh, giving up no sacks. You know, man, give the big bastard some some credit. He is a phenomenal athlete. He's a phenomenal ambassador of Alabama football. And, you know, I I just want to see the guy get, get the credit that he's due. And you know what? It doesn't matter what I think about him. Uh, what happens is, uh, fast forward to late April, early early May of next year, that's when he's going to really find out how good he is when somebody decides to write him a $20 million check to play in the NFL. Too true. And uh, he's gonna, he has first-round pick written all over him. I like looking at mock drafts, and uh, he, he doesn't get past pick 20 at the latest in almost every one that I see, so... Good vibes for that young man, and he has banked money this past month at the at the least. But you know, a guy, another guy, I wanted to get your take on, and this really, this kid's emergence has completely changed the backfield for the Crimson Tide in my mind. How impressed were you with Bo Scarborough? I know we talked about in past in previous weeks that uh, he had been you know coming and coming and coming, but I felt like this this game was really. Bo Scarborough as sledgehammer, you know, how does his emergence change this backfield for the Crimson Tide? Well, I mean, I think first of all, you have to kind of wait and see, Um, you know, they claim that he has a twisted knee from last week. So you have to kind of wait and see what it, you know, proves out to be against uh, Mississippi State. But I, I thought that was, Saturday, what you saw against LSU, 
was the perfect complement to, I think, the offense that Lane Kiffin has tried to um, farm and, and, you know, implement. You know, Jalen Hurts, a quarterback with all the dual threat capabilities. You know, you've got you've got Damian Harris, you've got Joshua Jacobs. Um, you know, and then there's both Scarborough. What I've always thought would be, you know, the perfect offense, even going back to last year, um, you know, if it could have happened, was, you know, you've got Damian Harris, you've got Joshua Jacobs. Um, you know, you, you ground and pound teams with those two guys. Um, you know, pro football focus has got Joshua Jacobs on alert as being, you know, the most elusive true freshman football player um, in college football. But what Bo is starting to do, and, you know, that that was classic Thomas, uh, student body left, student body right, when, the, when they were really running him. Um, you know, I, I think that's a what what I would love to see. You know, if I was running that show and, you know, nobody's paying me $8 million to make this decision, I wish they were. Uh, but, you know, what you saw out of both Scarborough against LSU, I think has always been the plan um, being, you know, Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban for the Alabama offense, and that's to bring him in. When, you know, I thought this about uh, Jouston Fowler, you know, four years ago. Uh, you know, bringing that hammer in with, 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 you know, 12 minutes left to go in the game and running him against a tired defense. And, you know, I think if Lane Kiffin can kind of, you know, collect his thoughts and, and bring all this stuff to fruition, we still don't know if he can or he can't. But I think Bo Scarborough's emergence against LSU and how much success he had running the football, if they can kind of package that and bottle it, um, I think that's going to be a huge, huge uh, advantage for Alabama going forward. And and, uh, you mentioned Lane Kiffin. I personally was okay with a lot of the play calling for the Crimson Tide throughout the game. I thought there were some that left me scratching my head, but every time I scratched my head, you saw an LSU defender make a play, and it sort of alleviated it for me. What did you think uh, of Lane Kiffin's play calling, particularly during the first half? I thought his second half was was solid. You know, Thomas, I I thought it probably took him a quarter longer than it should have to realize that, you know, Dave Aranda and and that LSU defense was not going to let them run outside. And I think they they focused on Jalen Hurts. Um, They were not going to let Jalen Hurts beat them. And and so if you know that and, and, you know, you want to talk about it, um, I think he waited maybe a quarter later than he should have to say, guess what, Uh, you know, they're bringing Arden Key um, and the other outside linebacker, and they're crashing inside. They're not going to let us run outside. You know, we've got to run between the tackles. Um, They did that, but I think they maybe waited a a quarter later um, than it should have been. 
And you know, you know, Thomas, it, it, it's real easy for me and you to sit here the Thursday night after that game, um, and, and you know, nitpick about stuff. You know, I, I personally don't get into that, but I will say this: I would have thought, me personally, that Lane Kiffin would have figured that out a quarter before he actually did, and would have said, you know what, the the bubble screens, uh, you know, all the stuff that we do outside the tackle box, um, you know, it's going to a hell on a handbasket. We're going to run the football between the tackles. But, you know, nobody's paying me $8 million to make that decision. That's fair. And, and, you know, you mentioned Dave Aranda, and I kind of want to go back to the Alabama defense here. And, I feel like Alabama's defense played a spectacular game, you know, holding LSU to 125 yards, 125 total yards, bottling up Leonard Fournette again. So before I ask you about specific players, did the Alabama defense cost Ed Orderon the LSU Tigers head coaching job on a permanent basis in your mind? No, Thomas, I think Ed Orderon cost himself uh, the the head coaching position. You, You don't, come out of a game like that and say, um, you know what, this was an LSU loss and, you know, we didn't execute and we didn't do those things right. You know, you know what, Ed, uh, there was another team on the other side of the ball that made those things very difficult for you to do. Um, you know, I never thought that LSU was going to hire Ed Ogeron um, he's just not, you know, he's a guy, he's a great recruiter. He's a great D-line coach. Um, he, he's a C-plus defensive coordinator. But, you know, no, you don't say those type of things, um, you know, when you're coming out of a game like that. I've always felt like that if if LSU was going to make a head coaching change, Thomas, um, they're going to look at Jimbo Fisher first, and I still feel like that's what's going on, um, especially if you look at what's happened to Jimbo Fisher in Tallahassee. Uh, you know, the wife got caught cheating on him with a former Florida football player. Um, that program's going backwards. Um, you've got a chance to make a um, – you know, if in fact LSU says, you know, hey, you're my first choice, you can make a huge cash grab there and give, you know, say, hey, look, if you want me to come to LSU, give me $5 million a year. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's got a chance to make a cash grab there. Um, that That's who I expect to be. You know, when all the dust settles, you know, January 1st and after, that's who I expect to be the next LSU head coach is Jimbo Fisher. You know, I, I could see that, and uh, for for all those reasons that you, you listed and more, sometimes it sometimes it is time to move on. But but you know, talking about Al, back to Alabama's defense again. I know we're kind of meandering, and that that's more my fault than yours. That's for sure. What I'm did good you with you, bro. <laughs> there we go. What did you think of Minka Fitz the Minka Fitzpatrick Tony Brown new position swaps that we saw against LSU? I, I thought it worked out spectacularly. But it was a kind of game that Tony Brown's, you know, abilities sort of play into. But what did you think? 
I totally agree with you. Um, now, I'll say this. You know, we really don't know um, about Tony Brown because, you know, you know, Danny Etling didn't have a chance to, you know, complete a five-yard pass. Um, you know, that being said, you know, uh, I told Drew on his uh, Huntsville radio show uh, two weeks ago that I thought this was a blessing in disguise for Jeremy Pruitt and Nick Saban. Um, you know, and this is nothing to take away from what Eddie uh, Jackson has done for this program. I mean, he is a warrior, uh, done great things for the program, but but I felt like, you know, you know, with him being hurt, not coming back, you know, let's just talk about that for a minute. Um, you know, he's going to be fully healed by January. He's going to go off to, you know, some NFL think tank. And, you know, he's going to have a chance to make a lot of money playing football. But I, I thought that his loss was a huge gain for this Alabama football team for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you just mentioned it. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, I think he is a more cerebral player than Eddie Jackson was. Uh, you know, I think he does a better job playing center field versus covering a guy um, at cornerback, number one. Number two, it gets younger players out there on the field. Um, and, you know, this is something we haven't talked about, Thomas. Uh, you know, going back to the LSU game, and I think it goes back a couple games before that, uh, you know, you see teams that throw at Marlon Humphrey week after week after week. And that was a guy that, you know, back in August that we all thought, you know, hey, uh, mark Marlon Humphrey off the list. Um, He's going pro at the end of the year. Well, I think if you start looking at it where we're at now in the second week of November, um, you know, he might get that Reuben Foster, Jonathan Allen, O.J. Howard grade from, you know, the NFL and says, hey, you might want to come back. You know, the guy that nobody talks about, Thomas, is Anthony Avery. And if you go back and you look at that game Saturday, they threw one deep pass against him, and, you know, he reached around with, with one hand and, and swiped the ball away. My reaction to that was, you know, hey, can you not get two hands on that and intercept it? So, you know, I think there's a lot of things to look at with this Alabama team, but, you know, the DB play, and I understand what, what people are upset about. They look at the – Old Miss game, they look at the Arkansas game, and they're like, you know, with this great pass rush, how does this happen? But I think if you break each game down by a quarter, you know, a quarter-by-quarter quarter basis, um, they played their asses off. And you will never hear me complain about players that show up every day and play at a high level. You know, it's no different than Nick Saban. Uh, you know, talking about the uh, the presidential election. You know, high achievers don't like mediocre people and mediocre people don't like high achievers. And that's what we're looking at here right now. 
fair enough. You know, a guy that I thought, you know, I agreed with Anthony Averett, I thought had a fantastic game and uh, expect more from that young man. Another guy that kind of jumped out at me was Anthony Jennings. You know, what, what did you think? I think he had, he was credited with, you know, double-digit tackles. I believe I saw that somewhere. I'd have to look the stats back up. You know, is that, is he the next great Bama guy, or is it because there's so many great Bama linebacker or great high-recruited linebackers that we don't know yet? What did you think of his performance? I think what you have to look at, Thomas, is – and I am – the most guilty person of anybody that looks forward to, you know, what I love is, and, you know, certainly this didn't come out of uh, the LSU game, but what it's going to come out of is this Saturday's game versus Mississippi State, the next week versus UT Chattanooga. The thing that I'm so guilty of is looking ahead to next year. And that's the reason why I record all the games and watch them. And so, you know, you asked about this particular player, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen with him. Um, He's 265, maybe somewhere around 270. Um, If you want to start making a depth chart out of the Alabama defense next year, my personal opinion of how it's going to play out is in the base defense look, it's going to be Deshaun Hand at one end, it's going to be Deron Payne at nose guard, and it's going to be Anthony Jennings at the other defensive end spot. Um, you know, then you have to make a decision if you're Nick Saban or, or Jeremy Pruitt and you say, well, uh, we got to find a replacement for Tim Williams. Well, it's going to be Christian Miller or Rashawn Evans, depending on, you know, what they want to do with Rashawn Evans. Um, you know, filter back to the jack spot. It's going to be Terrell Hall. Um, so, you know, it is what it is, but at the same time, that that's why I like these late games in the season. Um and you know, you know, you might want to say, well, you know, he, this guy's crazy. He's talking about a, a practice schedule versus uh, Mississippi State, and then next week is uh, UT Chattanooga. Yeah, I'm including that into it. But I want to see those games because you get to see who the next level of the great Alabama players are going to be. And I just laid it out to you who they're going to be. I hear you. And you're, you gave me the perfect segue to talk about Mississippi State. You know, we spent some time earlier in the segment talking about Jalen Hurts and Jalen Hurts' running abilities. Do you see this Mississippi State game turning into another one of those games we saw early on where stay in the pocket Jalen Hurts? type things, or do you see Al, you know, Lane Kiffin just letting it rip and trying to salt this one away pretty quick? Well, I will tell you this. As a former professional college football gambler, um, this is a classic game of, you know, that they, they're coming off that late night, you know, win over LSU. Um, 
last time I saw the line, it was 28 to 30 points, you know, in the favor of Mississippi State. I would tell you, take Mississippi State the points. There's no way they cover this line. Um, You know, that being said, uh, I think what you're going to see, you know, this week, next week, leading up to the Iron Bowl, is Lane Kiffin Kiffin putting Jalen Hurts out there. Um, No no different than what they did, um, you know, after the USC game early on in the season with – I think it was Kent State. Hell, I can't remember who we played. But, yes, uh, they're going to ask him to throw the ball 30 times, and he's probably going to do it. But what I would say to Alabama fans that have a big, you know, big-time problem with what they've seen out of him as a throwing quarterback is remember this. He didn't get the opportunity in August to uh, run the offense as the de facto number one quarterback. Hell, he was sharing it with Blake Barnett. He was sharing it with Cooper Bateman. For all the people that want to see that stuff improve, and I'm not saying they're they're wrong. Um, I think they've got a legitimate complaint as far as you know, where he's at with the passing quarterback. But just remember this. He's got 15 pieces in December where he is going to be, you know, QB1 at Alabama and getting those reps in practice. And I think that's where you have the opportunity to see him improve as a passing quarterback. You know, it's not going to be from – the Mississippi State game to the Iron Bowl, it's going to be from those 15 bowl practices to whoever they play in the college football playoff. I gotcha, gotcha. So, uh, going to defense, you know, we talk about what Alabama has struggled with over the past few years, and it's almost a tired storyline dual threat quarterback having the game of his life. And you look at this Mississippi State team, yes, they have had a rough season. Yes, they did lose to the school I am currently attending, South Alabama, on a last-second field goal. But this past week, and even a couple of times before that, the Mississippi State quarterback, Nick Fitzgerald, has shown himself to be fairly capable as a dual threat, uh, a dual threat quarterback. Does Nick Fitzgerald worry you going into this Mississippi State game? You know, not really, Thomas. I think it goes back to, um, you know, what Dan Mullen and Mississippi State presented for the last three years. It was, you know, stop Dak Prescott. And, you know, I think Nick Fitzgerald is is the same player, um, you know, without a guy like Darunia Wilson at wide receiver or a game changer at tailback um, for Mississippi State, I think it's, you know, hey, you stop me and, you know, you stop Mississippi State. Um, you know, I do think there's going to be a hangover from the uh, LSU game last week because it was a 
late game, and, you know, that's how that stuff works. But, you know, Alabama versus Mississippi State at 11 a.m. in Brian Denny Stadium, it's you stop Nick Street. You know, you stop Nick Fitzgerald, you stop Mississippi State. Well, with that, uh, you know, it's getting – it's only about 7.50, but I've picked your brain for a solid 45 minutes. So, I guess I've just got one more question for you, Fish. What's your final score prediction for this game? I'm going to say uh, Alabama 30, uh, Mississippi State 13. That you know that that's a comfortable win. We'll have it. You'll you will have it. Hopefully, an enjoyable you know fourth quarter because you do we do get to see some of the young guys. But uh, I'm sure we'll pick your brain about that next week as well. But fish, thanks so much for being with us this evening. I always appreciate the time and uh, the insight. So we will catch up with you next week. Hopefully, celebrating another big Bama win. Thank you, brother. That was William Redfish Barger, 1992 national champion and all-around football football, football guy. And I hope you enjoyed it. But uh, we do have a little bit of time before I expect Drew DeArmond to join us. It's about 7.50. I kept the fish for about 45 minutes. But uh, I've got some audio that I think the, the listener base would love to hear. So let, let's – this let's do that. This audio is from a conversation that Drew had earlier today with Antonio Langham. I will also say if you are listening live and you want to get in and just chat about the LSU game or the Mississippi State game or anything else under the sun, if you if you pin me down, I might be able to talk basketball recruiting, but that that might be cringe for everybody involved. But if you want to talk about anything Alabama, give us a holler at 714-510-3707. And uh, we will get you on the air. But this is Drew DeArmond with Antonio Langham. And that is Antonio Langham. Antonio, it's an honor to have you on Talking Ball. How are you doing this morning? I'm good, Drew. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing really well, man. And I thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. To I know you're uh, in the in the midst, you and uh, Coach Andrew Zhao, getting ready for the Calera Eagles to have their uh, road playoff game, second round for the Eagles, 8-3, and three, going on the road to an undefeated Carol Ozark team. Quite a challenge. Yeah, it's going to be uh, a big challenge for us, especially going on the road and having to go so far down south just to play uh, a playoff game, which would be uh, a good experience for our kids, a good challenge for them, and uh, a good Ozark uh, Carroll team that's undefeated and uh, looks pretty good on them, nice size. So we, we have a work cut out for us Friday. No doubt, but uh, you and uh, Coach Zhao – did a great job turning around the Montevallo program. Now on the uh, doing the same, continuing uh, the uh, the uh, success of this Calera program. But speaking, we wanted to have you on to kind of talk about Alabama and and their run so far and uh, this year under Nick Saban. And I remember talking with you back in the spring. You know, as this Alabama team was taking shape, the defending national champions. And, and sometimes it's it's hard to stay focused when you do when you win a championship. But this group has seem to do that thus far and have a special kind of uh, camaraderie and chemistry. But I remember just uh, looking at the secondary, and we knew that uh, they were going to have to retool a little bit. And uh, I was, we were, I got a chance to see them scrimmage in the spring and to speak with you afterwards. And I remember asking you about the secondary, and, and the, the first prevailing thought was that Minka Fitzpatrick would, might move to the base at corner. But I remember something you told me that stuck with me for all these months, and you've been exactly right. He, in, in a lot of ways, he may even have 
been the most consistent corner for this group. But you told me, just you said, Drew, remember, 28 is a starter for this team. Uh, we have They have three guys at corner that they can win with. And uh, Anthony Averett has been really, really solid so far. Well, uh, Anthony, in the beginning, uh, he, he struggled just a little. But, I mean, that was just the adjustments and, and getting ready uh, – Getting ready, get get acclimated to the SEC and the speed, even though he's been around for a minute. And um, I think he he worked hard. He's come along well since since the spring and uh, in the early part of the season, which I think our whole secondary has has been solid and come around um, to playing the type of football that we expected them to play this year. I mean, you know, I hear people they complain they're saying well Marlin's getting picked on now and. This, that, and the other. And I, I tell them all the time, now, y'all have to understand that these universities that Alabama played didn't go find their kids playing in the backyard or <laughs> on the other side of the railroad tracks. Now, they, they, they went out and found some quality athletes, so things are like this going to happen every now and then in the game. But I I, I think that sometimes our, our secondary our corners, especially a lot of times you, you look at them and you see things happen to them, man, and – and a lot of times they're in perfect position. They just have a problem with finding the ball in flight. I mean, it just takes a lot more work and a lot more experience and a lot more working on it. But I think they've done a great job up to this point. And then, of course, they had some youth at safety. Ronnie Harrison was taking on a, a bigger role. And Eddie Jackson was a big uh, part of the equation because of his experience and his leadership. And he'd, he'd been through the fire. He had transitioned to safety the year before and had an outstanding year, and now he's been lost to injury. Uh, but just uh, kind of, I guess, first talk about Eddie's career and then uh, losing him and, and how they've had to retool. Well, I, I have the utmost respect for Eddie uh, Jackson because of the things, he, the adversity he's had to face, I mean, knee injuries and coming back from that and then being moved from corner. Um, he had some early struggles at corner for a minute and then being moved to safety, so having to make that adjustment, uh, and then being able to become the player and the leader that uh, Coach Saban and the secondary was expecting him to be. Now, when you lose that kind of leadership, it hurts in your secondary, especially if your guys are, are young, like you say, when Ronnie Harrison being young, and other guys, that, that veteran leadership means a lot. That's the guy that can line them up correctly. That's the guy that can keep them calm and keep them under control when things seem to be getting out of hand and they start to lose focus or things are not happening so well for them. To lose that leadership is is uh, it's tough, tough to get back. It's tough, but then that's where other people just have to step up. You have to step up because that's the nature of this game that we play, that you, you can have them there one day and they go on the next. And then I thought it was telling, though, Coach Saban did take Eddie on the trip with the team, uh, he was there supporting the guys, and I know Tony Brown has had to take on a new role at nickelback. And then talk about a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick. He's he's played the nickel for a season and a half, done an outstanding job, uh, but and now he has to make the transition uh, to the free safety spot. Uh, he had an, of course a, the the uh, huge interception against LSU, but he had to take on a new role. And then you bring in someone like Tony Brown, who's talented. Uh, but who's been up and down in his career, to say the least. But just kind of talk about how but how those two guys you thought performed uh, in, in that raucous environment in Baton Rouge. Well, you had to be a very poor person to play in that type of environment in uh, Baton Rouge. 
And for Mika to be outstanding as he is as a corner, and then to be even better as a as your as your star player, which is considered in your nickel defense, he's considered the extra DB is considered the star player. Uh, that's the title that's given to him. It means he's a star, star. He's a star player, which he is. But that's the title that's given to him in that position. And then for him to make the adjustment to safety, that just shows uh, really his knowledge of the game. It also shows you that he's a very unselfish player. For him to be willing to, you know, I'm sure he wants to start on the defense at corner, but to be the star player and then move to safety and be unselfish like that, you you have to commend a guy like that. You have to have the utmost respect for him. That just shows his knowledge of the game, his maturity, and his competitiveness. Now with Tony Brown, I first of all, I'm happy to see him back on the football team and back out on the field. I think Tony Brown could be a great asset to our defense. I think Tony Brown needs to start to believe that Tony Brown can be a, a major part of our defense, a big asset, asset to our defense. I think Tony Brown has experienced some things, and, and mentally he's had he's been failed to the bottom. Now he's got to fight his way back up to the top. And mentally, if he can get Tony Brown together, no matter how many people talk to Tony Brown and discuss things with Tony Brown, Tony Brown has got to get Tony Brown back together. And if he's back there mentally where he needs to be, I think he's going to be he's going to be key for us down on this stretch run. And then talk about uh, this stretch run for this team. Uh, they face Mississippi State, uh, and I'll never forget, uh, during the 92 season, uh, you guys faced a huge challenge in Starkville. They were uh, kind of waiting on Alabama, and uh, you had a huge block punt in that game. And, uh, you, and you guys were really pushed to the limit uh, by uh, the Bulldogs from Starkville and uh, continued on your uh, trek to the national championship. And uh, I know Mississippi State's kind of been in a rebuilding phase, but they're still a dangerous team. Well, let me just let me say this about Mississippi State. Mississippi State can have an 0 and nothing season. And when they face Alabama, they they play life out. For some reason, they find it. If they can't find it against any other team, when they play Alabama, they find they they they, they reach deep down off in their gut, and they 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 bring their heart. They bring their heart to that game, and they gonna play with a lot of passion and a lot of heart, and they gonna fight until the end. And I'm. I mean, they're a dangerous team to come off of. Just, I think they just beat Florida, right? Uh, Texas A&M. Texas A&M. They just been, they beat Texas A&M. Even though Trevor Knight wasn't there, they beat Texas A&M. I, hey, that's, that's, that's going to be a big boost for them coming into this game. So we have to be very careful at how we approach this game, how we approach it mentally. I mean, physically <laughs> – we're 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 better than all the rest out there physically, but mentally, you got to be into this game. If we don't go into this game prepared mentally, we could find ourselves in a in a deep dog fight with uh, Mississippi State. Exactly, and then uh, this uh, and and then I always thought your your group uh, defensively, the '92 team, was ahead of its time because you guys were so fast at each position. And this Saban defense, more than any others has reminded me of your group because, of course, you were able to rush the passer with Copeland and Curry and really didn't have to blitz a lot. And then you were so fast at the linebacking core and then had the the best secondary that I've seen at Alabama as a group. Did, has this stop unit reminded you the most of that 92 group so far? 
Hey, this, this group here is, is something special now. There have been a lot of them that come through there, and uh, they, they're compared to us, and we, as former players, you know, we're going to automatically want to say our defense is the best. But when you sit back and you watch this defense play, man, it, it's, it's amazing to watch. They're fast. They're physical. They're knowledgeable. They're where they're supposed to be. Everybody's doing their job, man. It, it reminds, reminds me a lot of 92 because everything you see going on with this defense was there with us. We were, we were knowledgeable. We were on the same page. Everybody was doing their job. Everybody was where they're supposed to be. And when you have a group that's playing like that, and then here's the, the good thing about this defense and our defense, too, is like we didn't just have that, you know, some teams had that quote-unquote one superstar that everybody's expecting to shut the whole game down, be the, the highlight of the game. But you have 11 guys just coming on a on a every snap situation in the same way we had in 92. When you're playing team football like that, man, there's nothing compared to team football. I would rather have 11 guys that's a team than have to say, look, we got this one standout linebacker. Tonight, Alabama comes to the game with this so-and-so and – they stand out linebacker. They stand out defensive back. I'd rather have a team. I'd rather have a team for the 11, 11 guys coming at all times. And we all know how good your teammate John Copeland was. And I've made the statement after watching Jonathan Allen develop during his career, and especially now as a senior, that he's probably the best defensive lineman I've seen since '94. And I'm not taking anything away from Eric Curry. He was great too. But I just thought John did not have really a weakness as a player, both against the run in the past. And John, now Jonathan Allen uh, seems to be in that same cut from the same cloth. Just your thoughts on Jonathan Allen and, and how good he's become? Man, that that, that Jonathan Allen is, is something special, and I'm gonna tell you that that, that Copeland was, was something special too. And I don't know Jonathan Allen personally because I've never been around him like that. You know, I don't know if he, you know, he a quiet guy, but Copeland was really a quiet guy. He didn't say much and I never forget it. In '92, we were in we were in uh, Mississippi State, and uh, the game was closed, and we were doing a TV timeout. And this is the first time I've heard Copeland talk all year, and he got so upset with the defense, man, that he he flat out told us during that timeout. He said, "You know what? If y'all don't want to play, get out of my way and watch me win this football game." And I mean, next three snaps, <laughs> he was in the backfield causing causing havoc. And I was looking like, yeah, we better come on and play. If Copeland, get, if Copeland is mad, he's yelling at folks, we better come on. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know, you know, what type of person he is as far as out on the team as a leader, but I know that there are a lot of good comparisons to those two. And I'm telling you, as, as dominant as Jonathan Allen is, Copeland was the same way. So, I mean, I know my boy, if he was listening to these, he probably got that little smile on his face like he always <laughs> has. <laughs> you, know, you know how Copeland is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and and final couple of thoughts from you, Antonio, and we really appreciate your time. And this is the great Antonio Langham from the University of Alabama and, of course, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and, and speaking of the Cleveland Browns, you're unique in the fact that you got a chance to play for Coach Saban when he was in the NFL. And, and you've, you so you've, you've, you've uh, been able to experience him as a coach and then watch him at Alabama. I, I, just for our listeners that may not have heard you speak on this subject, what makes Coach Saban so special in your mind? 
Coach Saban. He, he's, he's very intense as a coach. What I love the most about him is he's very detailed. He's going to give you every detail that he could possibly give you, meaning he's going to give you the playbook, and he's going to be very detailed with him. Film watching, game planning is going to be so detailed that the only way you don't have success in it is if you just don't study or you just don't care and you don't want to be successful in it. And and, and he's, he's a player's coach. I mean, he, he coaches you. He's intense at times. Trust me, for everybody out there listening, there are days when you just want to take the shoulder pads and the helmet and all and you want to just ball him up and go toe-to-toe and, and, and punch him in the mouth a couple times. <laughs> you know, a few times in Cleveland I wanted to, but at the end of the day, it all made sense when it was all said and done, and uh, we have we have a great relationship. And I tell people all the time, I say, it was like, what do you think about this this coach saving now and the coach saving the coach during the NFL? And I said, well, he's he's a lot easier going now when he was in Cleveland as a assistant coach and defensive coordinator. I mean, he was. He, he was basically uh, a behind. You didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> he was hard-nosed and intense, and you was like, I tell people, I say, he's, he's a lot softer. He's a lot easier going out than he was in the NFL. And he'll just start laughing. He always tell people, when Tony will say, I'm softer now. As well, that is the truth. Trust me. <laughs> well, and Antonio, uh, this team has been unique because of Jalen Hurts being a true freshman that's taken the reins of this offense. Uh, if, if, briefly, just kind of give us your thoughts on Hurts and the way he's uh, played with such poise for such a young player. Oh, man, to have a, a true freshman come in and, and and play like he has played and to be as poised as he has, he has been, I mean, it, it, it's great. But then again, it's shocking because you don't expect a, a, a true freshman to come in on that le- on the level of SEC football as fast as uh, the guys that you're facing are on this on this level. And for you to no matter what happens, good or bad, to be as poised as he is and just continue to run the offense. Now, there are a lot of things on Jalen Hurts that, as the time go on next year, will be better than they are this year. I mean, a lot of you know his downfield passing and his, his Intermediate passes will be a lot more. He'll be a lot more accurate with those throws next year because he have this year of experience. But for him to come in as a true freshman and have to lead uh, a national championship team from the past uh, the year before to now, he, he's done a great job doing it. Man. So I'm very proud of the kid. Well, we are all we're proud of you, Antonio, and what you've done for the University of Alabama. Congratulations on your career. That was Drew DeArmon talking with Antonio Langham earlier today on his show, Morning Talking Ball, on ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. Pretty solid stuff. Pretty interesting takes. I think we have a caller. I think I know who it is. Unfortunately, my board went a little crazy, so I'm not going to be able to screen him. So I'm just going to guess. 859 area code. Is this uh, Kevin from Kentucky, perchance? Hello, caller. Well, sometimes you fake me out, guys, and that that's okay. So, you know, since 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 I have been faked out and that happens, good news on the recruiting front. Alabama basketball just got a commitment from John Petty from Huntsville. So 
So luckily, or hopefully, we will both have more uh, more good news. More good news on the Avery Johnson basketball front. A lot of energy around this team. You got to feel pretty excited. And hopefully, we'll be joined by Drudy Armand here shortly. He uh, he was out there covering that announcement. I'm sure he's got to bang out some audio talking to a couple of folks. But having covered high school basketball games, it's a pretty tight window to uh, commit and get maybe just a couple of sound bites. So hopefully Drew will be joining us soon. Uh, Again, we do have open lines. And if you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 714-510-3707. We'd love to hear from you talking Bama basketball, talking, you know, Anything you're really interested in, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear from you. If you've got recruiting stories or whatever, I, I'll take it. But as we wait on Drew, I do have a little bit more audio, and it's going to shift to – oh, okay, okay. I, I just I just joined my back chat. Kevin, if you're – I see you in our chat. If you want to call me back, I'll just bring you on live, and we'll be able to talk. I apologize. That was – I assume my board went kind of crazy. So we're going to wait for, uh, for, for Kevin to give us another holler. Uh, this is – Kevin Hagan, Lex KY Tide, all kinds of uh, good info when he calls us and joins the program. But you know, for the rest of the show, it, 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 this is supposed to be a fan show, so hopefully if Kevin wants to call, I'll get him back on. Otherwise, other people can call 714-510-3707, and uh, I would absolutely love to hear from you. But you know, there's a there, if we if we don't if we don't have callers that's fine too. I, I've uh, astonishingly I can plan a radio show only on occasion though. We do have some audio from Paul Jones of Bulldogs Two Four Seven, and uh, that's gonna that that's a little bit of the Mississippi State side of the coin. And you know I haven't personally given my thoughts on Mississippi State, and I'll do that real fast. I do have one more caller that I'll bring on in just a moment, but uh, I personally think Alabama's gonna wreck Mississippi State. I, I agree with the hangover premise. But uh, I I don't uh, I don't think it's gonna ha- I don't think the hangover is gonna be but for a quarter maybe a quarter and a half and I think Alabama is gonna run away from Mississippi State and hide but you know we'll see we'll see this weekend I think I recognize this number again I apologize I'm gonna have to bring you on live cold and uh, I'm just gonna guess is this is this Bama Bubba do I have this it right sure is. Live. <laughs> how are you doing Thomas I'm pretty good Bubba I'm pretty good. Uh, how, how are you? This how, you're, you were doing frantic babysitting work, which is not something that I ever want to do. So how are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I, I am bunkered down in my room, but when you when you got five kids, you're going to have other kids come by from time to time, and they are all kind of entertaining themselves in the other room. So I snuck in here to call you real quick, talk a little football. Uh, but, the, um, the problem is, I'm never going to have five kids, so I do not. I will not know that reality. <laughs> oh man, but no, I'm 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 excited for the for the game this weekend. Of course, I get excited for every game, but I, I, I'm hoping it's going to end up like you said it would. I hope we wreck Mississippi State. Um, what I would like to see, I would like to see us start off right out of the gate pretty quick, and I'm sure a lot of people are like this and score a couple of touchdowns. Actually, I'd like to see us run the ball some. I mean, I know we can, but I just want to see it. Um, but I do want to see us like get a couple of scores and then just kind of turn Jalen Hurts loose. Let him. You know, I know they'll roll the pocket with him sometimes to get him out on the edge, make throws a little easier looking down the field. But I'd like for him to just come out from under center, take some shotguns, back, just sit right there in the pocket and let him scan the field, let him work on his quarterback and skills. And um, because I know there's so much more to it than we think. You know, when you just 
throw the ball to a receiver. You've got to, you know, you've got to read the entire defense, the setup, zone, man to man. You've got to look off defenders. You've got to either, you know, have the receiver sit down and hit him on his chest, or you've got to lead him. And there's just so much that goes into it. Um, and I, and I'm really hoping that this is going to be a good week. That if we can get a good lead, then he can spend the majority of the game really working on his throwing and just in reading defenses and making the right, you know, the right read. Uh, is he finding the right receiver to throw to? If a guy breaks open or breaks off his route, is he going to find him? And, you know, like I said, I know there's a lot that goes into it, but I'm really hoping that they use this to work on that because I believe I read somewhere that Nick Saban had worked with him a lot this week and sat in a film room with him and they had gone over everything. And I just, like everybody else, I feel like, He's so close. Like, he's right there on the verge of breaking out. And, like, the LSU game, you know, he had that one great throw to Darius Stewart. Um, he had another good one, the Miller Four style, coming out of the, the backfield or, or, well, on the edge. And it's just, you know, he, he has those little flashes every game. And I'm really ready for him to put it together to where he has a really good, you know, I don't know, obviously, you know, maybe 10 for 15 game or something like that. Throws for some good yardage. Hits a couple of deep passes to keep those safeties you know, on their toes and, and just really bring this offense to a point to where it's almost impossible to stop because, you know, I, I think you said in the past, Thomas, if he starts doing that, once you start backing those safeties off and the and the quarterbacks and DBs have to worry about receivers, not only is our running game effective, but Jalen Hurts becomes effective. That one run he made against LSU to score a touchdown, that becomes commonplace in this offense if he starts threatening complete passes like that. So I was just curious to hear what you thought about that. No, I agree. I mean, it's, I I am, I have to be really careful when I answer this question because I don't want to come off as I'm being critical of Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts has so exceeded expectations that, you know, any, anything that he does to improve his game to me this season is gravy. Like it's, it's, it, it is, it's fair to expect but if he doesn't do it, I'm not going to rain fire on him for, for not being able to advance as a football player. I mean, it's, it's unequivocal that he needs to develop his game, and you spread teams out and give them that, that you know, over the over-the-top deep pass or even the intermediate stuff. You know, those running lanes get bigger and bigger and bigger, and suddenly you're having to defend sideline to sideline, 11 on 11, and you know, look at what Deshaun Watson was able to do to a very good Alabama Crimson Tide defense in the national championship game. He was able to do that because Clemson forced Alabama to defend sideline to sideline, 11 on 11. And that's, and that's just part of it. You know, it happens, and you've got to hope that it, uh, it happens again with Jalen Hurts. But even if he continues to struggle as a passer, and Redfish did make this point earlier. I know, like I said, you're babysitting, so you might not have ever yeah. hear the Redfish segment. Uh with Jalen Hurts getting those 15 bowl practices, that's really where I'd expect some major steps forward. I mean, it uh, okay. it happened last year. Jake Coker, I, I think he completely – it was already kind of happening with Coker, but I think he really came yeah. into his own in those last two games. So I, I don't think he's going to have quite as meteoric a rise as Jake Coker, but I do think you can expect some steps forward. And Quite honestly, you know, that's when Alabama's really going to need it because if, if, if the college football playoff, if you assume the top four, the top four in a month from now, you know, Washington's going to present some unique challenges. And Jake Browning's a heck of a quarterback. Now, 
Washington has no idea what they're going to get themselves into. We'll have a better idea of how good Washington looks against an uber-talented team when they play the USC Trojans this weekend in primetime. I'm really looking forward to that game to see. Oh, wow. Because SC has a ton of talent, as Alabama fans know from earlier this year, and they've really turned it around under uh, quarterback Sam Darnold, which, you know, would Sam Darnold have made the Alabama game a little closer? Sure. Alabama would have won by 25 as opposed to 45. (laughs) But – you know, I, I want to see that. But then assuming Alabama is able to get by the Huskies, you're going to have one of Michigan or Clemson. And, you know, we've already seen Clemson. And it, Jim Harbaugh is a top five minimum coach in college football in my mind. So either yeah. Alabama would need that step forward. So that, that's yeah. what I'm, I'm looking to see what they do. Sorry, I don't mean to keep cutting you off. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's fine. That, that's exactly what I was asking. And he made a good point about um, – the bowl practices in Michigan State, because if you remember, that was the game to where he really started throwing. It was like we was using the run as a decoy, and he really just started airing it out. It seemed like he hit every pass he threw in that game. So it was really fun to watch. And I think I'm glad that um, Fish brought that up. Um, And, you know, I'll take it. You know, whenever it comes, it comes. It's just as long as it gets there, because we've seen quarterbacks in the past for different teams just kind of go their whole career and kind of struggle. With, with passing, so I don't think that's going to be the case with Hurts, but yeah, yeah. those four weeks of preparing for the are going to be great. So, I wouldn't uh, buy yeah. Jalen Hurts not being able to put it together as a passer. That's not going to be a thing for this guy. But, but you yeah. know, Bubba, I need to move on to one other caller, but before, uh, before I let you go, what's your final score prediction for uh, Mississippi State Alabama? Uh, I think I'm going to go ooh, I'm going to go 42-7. to 7. That's not a bad one. I think I went 45-14 on scheme team, so I'll I'll stick to that for BAMs. Okay, sounds good, Thomas. Hey, I appreciate you letting me call, man. Absolutely. Thank you for calling. Have a good evening, babysitting, you know, half the planet. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right, bye. That was our good friend, Bama Bubba. Great, great, great friend, constant, you know, DMs back and forth, asking football questions and just being a general nice guy. And uh, I had this caller on hold, and you know, I, I, again, I apologize to uh, Kevin, but uh, I've got I've got you live, Kevin. You got me now. Hey, Thomas, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, Kevin. It's great to hear from you. Like I said, I apologize before we had a little. No, no worries. There. No worries. No worries. I always enjoy listening to Redfish every week, and uh, spot on. And I'm I'm with him with uh, the people that are critical of Jalen Hurts. If, I've told William several times, if he's the president of the Jalen Hurts fan club, then I have to be the first vice president. Uh, just absolutely love the young man. And uh, But before I move to the topic I really want to get to, I, I have a lot of deep connections into the Washington Husky program. Spent two weeks out there with their athletic department last year, and they're actually a year ahead of schedule. And they will tell you, and I'll tell you, don't worry about them this year. If we play them, they cannot stop the run. And they'll tell you that. Their coaches oh. are scared to death about playing us because the, right now – they're a year ahead of schedule. They they have serious trouble stopping the run. Um, they were this is the run they were expecting to make next year, but this won't be the only time oh. Chris Peterson has uh, has them in that position. Um, uh, it was really remarkable hanging out with them for two weeks in Seattle last year. But I'm calling uh, to talk about what I'm going to talk about every Thursday now. I think I might have just lost you, or I'm just am having a connection burp. Oh, no. Do we have a connection problem? This is bad. Uh, Kevin, if you can hear me, uh, I'm going to – yeah, he just – we just lost him. Obviously, he has something important to uh, to discuss, but he got kicked. 
if you can hear me, if you're listening, call me back. We'll get you back on air ASAP. But you know, in, in the in the interim, I will absolutely riff. You know, interesting thing about the Washington Huskies. I didn't. I tr- I, I'll be honest. I haven't studied Washington. I know they struggled to put away a good Utah team, and they had a kind of a frankly a nail biter with the Arizona Wildcats earlier this year when they went to overtime. But if you can't stop the run, then uh, you're not going to be able to stop Alabama. Sorry about that. But I'm, try, I'm trying to get Kevin back on the air because I want to hear, I want to hear his, his, what he wanted to talk about every Thursday. I always appreciate hearing from other people's perspective. But, you know, going back to Washington, they also had – they lost their top pass rusher this week, a guy that statistically was one of the most efficient pass rushers in the country. But got to put that back on hold. Kevin, I, I back. Sorry we lost you. Some, you know, the gremlins are, are acting up this evening. But what you got? Hey, I just wanted to talk about what I want to talk about every Thursday now. I told Drew, Alabama basketball, man. I'm just as big a basketball fan as I am a football fan. Uh, no surprise tonight what happened. Uh, those that follow Alabama basketball recruiting have known this has been coming for a while. But what a great night for Avery Johnson uh, with the commitment to Colin Sexton and John Petty. And the John Petty was really sweet to me because that was a pretty ugly recruiting battle with Kentucky. Yeah, I have to admit, I haven't been as deeply involved in the recruiting battle. I've just been on the periphery. But what? obviously you're in Kentucky, so, so what, what's the general mood of with the Kentucky fan base now that they've lost out uh, John Petty on to, to Alabama? What's the general mood up there? Uh, they're using the same excuse we use in football. Oh, we, we didn't need him. We'll move on to the next five-star. Ah, we didn't really want him anyway. Same stuff we say when we rarely lose out for a football player we want. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so you know, you're. you're I, I have to admit, I'm excited, but I'm also kind of that fan excited because I haven't broken down film on either of these guys or any of the other four, any of the, other, the three other commitments that Alabama had yesterday to form their Fab Five. But it's, so, so what can Bama fans expect with this group when they come in in the next calendar year? Oh, for this class that's coming in next year. Uh, it'll easily make Alabama a, a solid uh, top 25 program and will make, in my opinion, Alabama one of the top two or three teams in the SEC next year. Um, what I've been saying consistently and what Kentucky basketball fans honestly believe, Avery Johnson is going to become uh, – he's going to take over that role that um, that Florida had, being the team that pushes Kentucky year in, year out. He, he Billy Donovan left to the, go to the NBA. Well, Avery Johnson's the new Billy Donovan for Kentucky basketball. Uh, and the class coming in next year is what he has. They're going to get get even closer in one more class. Uh, we're going to be right. He's going to be able to be right there, toe to toe, year in year out with Kentucky. Oh, okay, cool, good to know. Uh, again, I, I I have been very focused on football, so I appreciate your your basketball knowledge. So so you know, this is obviously an exciting day for Avery Johnson. You know, you you detailed it well, getting more players in the program, continuing to fill out the roster, but. What are your thoughts just, you know, 50,000 feet of this year's Alabama basketball team? You know, what can fans look for? Is there anything different? You know, can you – is there any sort of uh, – I don't want to call it hangover, but how would you build a bridge from last year's team to this year's team if you could? Well, really, this is the first full year that Avery John – this is really Avery's first full year of coaching. Last year he came in, it was just – 
taking over from the first year. Is you know he's had a year in college basketball. Um, I think this is the first year to really judge Avery Johnson. Um, I think this is a team if they stay healthy, uh, will be knocking on the door to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, they were picked in magazines anywhere from six to eight in the SEC. I think that's a little bit low if they stay healthy. I could see this team finishing anywhere from uh, fourth to sixth in the SEC. Um, so very uh, and, and very competitive in games. Uh, once they uh, get their lineup set, by the time SEC rolls around, we're, we're going to be a dangerous basketball team. Plus, we lucked out with the SEC basketball schedule. We play Kentucky once this year, and that's in Tuscaloosa. Uh, the other than the teams that we always play twice, the teams last year we had to play South Carolina twice and Kentucky twice. Uh, this year we get to play Georgia twice and we get to play Missouri twice, and both Missouri games should be a win. So it's a pretty favorable schedule. Most of our difficult games this year are in Tuscaloosa. Um, so I, I think this is going to be a very exciting year for Alabama basketball fans. Um, and then the next year is just going to really be a whole lot of fun. Well, that, that that's a good problem. That's a good problem to have. So, I mean, how obviously you're more familiar with the basketball program than I am. I'll absolutely grant you that. You know, again, for me, I've seen the energy pick up around the program since Avery Johnson has come. You know, can you can you quantify that at all? You know, can you can you can you kind of peel back the layers of the onion, if you will? Because I mean, I have to, like I said, I'm excited, but I'm excited in that this seems kind of cool, but I'm not deeply, I'm not really plugged into the program. You know, what what are your thoughts on you know? how Johnson's been even in the past year-ish. It's been remarkable. The, the first thing that we have to thank him for is he just has relentless energy for the program, not only going and selling the program, but on the recruiting trail. And, you know, he got he was came in late. So he was really getting in late on that one cycle. And everybody freaked out over the Terrence Ferguson deal. But it really took him a year to figure out how the whole recruiting deal worked. He understands that now. And he's going to prove to be an elite recruiter, not with his knowledge of basketball, but just with his dynamic personality and the fact that the media absolutely loves him. Uh, And also, don't underestimate the addition of John Pelfrey to his staff. Coach Pelfrey is going to be a wonderful help uh, to Avery Johnson and was a big help with this recruiting class as well. But uh, Avery Johnson is just the energizer bunny. He's not going to be outworked by anybody He's not intimidated by going after players. He's willing to go head-to-head with all the big programs. And this is not going to be the only elite class that Avery Johnson signs at the University of Alabama. Uh, he, we're, going to, we're going to be in the top 10, 15 recruiting classes uh, every year that Avery Johnson's at the University of Alabama. And starting next, if not this year, starting next year, we're going to be a perennial uh, top 20 basketball program, year in, year out, as long as Avery Johnson's our coach. Well, it, it, since Alabama is going to be at that level, and, and again, you've made a very convincing case, and I, so I, I'm I am on board. Sign me up. But um, does that mean that Alabama is going to start getting some of those one and done players, or do you think do you think it can get to that high a level, or what do you think there? Oh, absolutely. Um, we will get to that point, but I think he's going to. Uh, He's not. He's going to have a good balance of one-and-done players, players that play for two or three years. Uh, he's also going to continually mix in uh, the uh, graduate transfers like we did this year with bringing in Bola from Southern Illinois. Uh, one of the things that, you know, coming from the NBA, Coach Johnson understands how you put a roster together. So you're going to see a nice blend there. But, yes, moving forward, absolutely, I would not be surprised to see us uh, have one-and-done players. As for asking about – 
John Petty and Colin Sexton. I don't think either one of them will be one and done. I think we'll get to have those players for at least two years uh, at the University of Alabama, which will which will be great. But yeah, no, we're gonna be we're gonna be in the running for elite players. If you look at who we're in on in the 2018 and 2019 classes, um, Avery's Avery's going after the elite top dogs in the class. And players know of Avery Johnson from the NBA. His name gets him in living rooms that Alabama would have never got into before because of his success and notoriety from the NBA. I got you. So th- there was a discussion, you know, right around when Avery was hired, and, and I, I don't know where the discussion has moved to. So I'm just going to ask you. There, there's been some some debate about Coleman Coliseum or just building a whole new uh, basketball arena for the men's basketball. Given this, what sounds like is about to be a serious uptick in basketball interest around campus, do you see a, a fresh new Coleman Coliseum 2.0 in the cards for this basketball team, or is that Absolutely. that decision got to happen? It's got to happen, and one of the reasons it's got to happen because when Avery Johnson starts winning basketball games and starts consistently recruiting the top players and taking us to the NCAA tournament other programs are going to come calling for Avery Johnson and we're going to have to make a commitment to keep him. Uh, And part of that commitment is a new basketball arena, which I understand uh, I won't mention names, but a pretty significant person on campus who's a coach has uh, put his efforts behind this. I understand Uh, you can probably make the connection. Uh, Him and Avery have become uh, pretty good friends. Rhyme with Saban. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but absolutely. Uh, that 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 is something that's going to have to happen uh, moving forward, and I think that it will. Uh, the excitement is back. There's a lot of Alabama basketball fans uh, that support the program. They just wanted to have something to be able to support. I mean, let's be honest. The Anthony Grant era, it was painful to watch them play. I mean, they were offensively challenged, to say the least. I, Avery's going to bring people back to the Hold program. was a thing. <laughs> it was a true reality. So I think we're going to have some distractions moving forward in March with uh, our spring football coverage and watching Avery Johnson take his basketball team into deep runs in March here in a couple of years. And it's going to be, it's going to be exciting because uh, if you're like me, you're a fan of every team at the University of Alabama, and there's no reason that we shouldn't be successful in everyone. Just because one's successful doesn't mean the other one has to suffer at all. And that's the great thing about Avery Johnson. He's not intimidated by the Alabama football program like some of our basketball coaches have been in the past. He embraces it. He doesn't see it as a competitor. He sees it as an advantage for what he's trying to build. He loves the Alabama football program, and I think that's great because if you're going to be the basketball coach at Alabama, you've got to be able to along with the football program. Yes, absolutely. You know, f- I, I I say that I, I haven't kept up with basketball. I've always loved it. That was when I first got into calling games and being a statistician. So it'll always be a love, and and I'm I'm glad that Avery Johnson has has understood that. But it sounds like Nick Saban has uh, certainly done his part to chip in and help another program. So it's sounds sounds like a pretty good state of affairs from where I'm sitting. <laughs> it is. He tried to help Anthony Grant, but you can't help somebody that won't help themselves. That, that's true, and you know I keep I'm keeping an eye on Twitter as we're talking. And Antoine Petway just tweeted, "Swish, good night, Bama Nation." So obviously, a little bit of excitement from the Bama coaching staff. And the Alabama fans need to show a lot of love to that gentleman. He did a phenomenal job, a phenomenal job. 
and they were helping with the recruitment in this class as long as Coach Simon. That entire staff did an outstanding job. Uh, but Coach Petway, yeah, he needs to sleep easy tonight. He did an outstanding job. Hey, they went toe-to-toe with the big dogs. I mean, who did we beat out tonight? We beat out Kansas and Kentucky. Those are blue blood programs. We didn't beat out Mississippi State and North Florida tonight. We beat Kansas and Kentucky. And if you're going to beat them on the court, the way you start beating them on the court, you start beating them in recruiting. And that's what we did tonight. Absolutely, Kevin. Well, well thank you for your call. The way to call. think about this class, to... Thomas, is this is Avery Johnson. This is Nick Saban's 2008 football recruiting class. That's what. That's the best way to think of it. Colin uh, Sexton uh, and John uh, Petty are his Mark Ingram and Julio Jones. That that's what I was heading towards. I was I was hoping you you went exactly where I was hoping you would go. So thank you. Even though you that's like where fun. we're at. <laughs> that's where we're at. Welcome to 2008. There you go. That that color me excited. You know, time to start flying the buckle up hashtag on the Bams Radio Twitter account. But you know, before I let you go, I, I want to shift to football real fast, and I'm, uh, I don't want to take anything anything away from the no, basketball love program. Football. But 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 you, so so you know, we had this big win against LSU. What, what are your thoughts? You know, if, if Bubba, while you were on hold, asked me, so I'll just keep on. I'll pass it on down the line. What do you think of this Bama Mississippi State game coming up this weekend? I, I agree with my buddy Redfish a hundred percent. I think you're going to see a little bit of LSU hangover. I think you're going to see a little bit of 11 a.m. blahs. Um, game's never going to be in doubt, but I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't somewhat sluggish and just a little bit on the ugly side. Um, I'm like William. I wish we'd put him away early because, like him, I absolutely love, and like the Tennessee-Chattanooga game, I love getting to see the young players, the players of the future, get to play as much as they possibly can. I'm not sure that's going to happen as much as I'd like for it to this Saturday. Um, but I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say 30, 31-14 Alabama. Well, that, I, w- I would honestly take that as a comfortable win, and uh, then it, it luck. You know, I, I have to drive up from Mobile, so then I'll be able to get home to watch SC Washington because that's really that that's the game that I'm interested in. I, I'm really excited to see how the Huskies look against the Trojans this upcoming weekend. Have you you said you're connected? Do you have any thoughts on that game before I let you go? Oh, their motivation, of course, they absolutely hate the Oregon Ducks, which they've already taken down. Um, their second uh, team, of course, is, is Southern Cal. So they're, the the Huskies are going to be well motivated for that game. Uh, I, because Southern Cal doesn't have the dynamic running game that, that's a threat to them, I would not be surprised to see the Huskies uh, put a real whipping on the Trojans this week. Wouldn't surprise me a bit. Well, there you They're go. They're really the elite Kevin. team out there in the Pac-12 because Stanford isn't Stanford this year. Um, Washington's really going to run away with the Pac-12 this year. Well, do they finish undefeated and head into the playoff, you think? Or what's yes, up with the Apple Cup? they do. Okay. Well, here's the thing about the Apple Cup, and that game's in that game's going to be in Pullman, and it's a much closer game in Pullman. But there again, you know, Washington State, um, I really don't believe in playing defense. So don't be surprised if the Apple Cup isn't a real shootout. And for our listeners that aren't familiar with that, it's not Alabama-Auburn, but um, it's a pretty ugly rivalry out there. Uh, the Apple Cup is uh, – it gets pretty testy out there. And there's deep hatred between Cougar fans and Husky fans. But, uh, yeah, Washington, Washington runs the table. Washington comes to Atlanta and plays Alabama in the first round of the playoffs. 
and they get to tell their grandchildren they lost to the national champs. Uh, you know, uh, sign me up for that reality. I will take it. <laughs> but don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if in the next two to three years, if we don't meet Chris Peterson and his Washington Huskies again uh, in the playoffs. He's really built. That's his dream job, by the way. That has always been his dream job to be the head coach of the Washington Huskies. So he's not interested in going anywhere. Uh, he, he's going to have a lot of success at Washington. This won't be his only trip to the college football playoffs with the Huskies. I, I you know, I've always been a fan of Chris Peterson. Anybody that can get what he got out of Boise State, he's got to he's got to understand a little something. So uh, that, that's that's good because, quite frankly, with the loss of USC and Oregon falling off the face of the planet over the past few years. The Pac-12 needed somebody, and it seems like Washington's going to be that guy, that group, that team, if you will. So they are. Problem to have. They but are. And when I was that. out there, and I wore a lot of Bama gear, and I can tell you I, every Husky fan that I encountered had nothing but absolutely great things to say about Alabama football and our rich football tradition. Uh, they have a lot of admiration for what we do. Nothing but respect for the Crimson Tide. It was well, pretty cool. That means that. I was going to say that means hopefully Atlanta will be a good time because I, I have to say I've been able to go to a few of the bowl games and, and teams that Alabama rarely plays. Most of the fan base has been really awesome. I have some yeah horror stories from LSU, the national championship game, but you know that that hatred runs kind of deep. I admit it. Well, anyway, they made a couple Kevin. road trips to Baton Rouge. The Huskies did, and they all had the Ooh. same thing to say to me. They said, "Wow, those people are horrible." I'm glad you beat them every year. <laughs> Yeah, 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 that uh, LSU fans. Well, 10 to nothing, ha-ha, that's all I'm going to say. Oh, I, you might have heard this last week, but uh, Kevin, I'll tell you before I let you go. The bet that I placed for uh, my fantasy football league, my LSU fan yeah. buddy is definitely flying some Bama flair today. Awesome. Yeah, he got to keep them in their place. I, I get a DM or a tweet or a text, you know, once every couple of days. I really hate my icon, to which I obviously reply, I really hate beating L- shutting out LSU. Wait, no, I don't. You know, friendly, <laughs> friendly banter. <laughs> hey, and I tip my hat to them. They played a great game. I mean, they honestly did. Um, True. I, I, I tip my hat, and I'll say this. I don't know if there's another team in the SEC other than us that would have got out of Baton Rouge with a win Saturday night the way they were playing. That, that That is a sentiment I've heard a few times, and honestly, I'm not sure you're far from the truth because they played a great football game. But, but you know, Kevin, <clears throat> I, I, I've appreciated your time. I want to get to this Paul Jones audio to close out the show. Sure, no five problem. Months. And uh, thanks for calling in. We look forward to hearing more basketball stuff from you. Call whenever you like. It's been a great conversation. Absolutely. Have a great weekend, everybody, and roll tide. That was Lex KY Tide. Give him a follow on Twitter. He's a he's a fun guy to interact with. And like I said to him, this is a little bit of audio that Drew had with Paul Jones of Bulldogs two four seven. And uh he's just gonna give us the Mississippi State side of things. Apparently Drew's busy trying to pull some quotes and get audio and do his radio thing, so I'm gonna take us home. So here we go with with Drew DeArmond and Paul Jones. Paul, always great to have you back with us on the Neighbors Wealth Management Hotline. How are you this morning? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate it. 
Yes, sir. And, Paul, uh, we thank you for uh, coming on with us. And, of course, you can follow Paul on Twitter, at PJ247Sports. And, again, he is the publisher of Bulldogs 24-7. And it's kind of funny how seasons can be a roller coaster, but uh, there's been some low points for Mississippi State this season. But uh, they're coming in with a lot of confidence now after knocking off a very talented Texas A&M squad last week. Exactly, and I mean, it's been a year of, of close losses, and, and you know, you could kind of see, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say I predicted State to knock off Texas A&M, but, you know, looking back and talking to players last week, they were talking about having great practices, and they, you know, tip your hat to those guys, because they've kept their head up all year long, they've kept fighting, remained confident in their abilities, and, and a lot of it's just guys growing up, you know, uh, looking at a staff from this past weekend, and, and you know, they're banged up on the offensive line, and the way they handled uh, Texas A&M's defensive line was impressive. You know, they've, they've got 20 first-year starters this year, and, and there's some older guys on the team but have never been first-year starters, and that 20 first-year starters this year lead the SEC and kind of tells you the inexperience factor they had coming into this year, not just trying to replace Dak Prescott but others. You know, and, and you're looking at a team right now that's 4-5, and five, that with a couple breaks at the end of games could very well be 7-2 and two right now. You know, it's just that thin line between winning and losing and, and guys learning how to make plays with the game on the line. And they just had a lot of consistency in and took control. So, you know, obviously they needed that for their confidence, not only for that, but to stay in the bowl possibilities uh, for the rest of the year. Well, and, and, and really when you go back and you look at uh... – the uh, uh, Bulldogs' schedule, the only game that they've been out of uh, in the second half is really the Auburn game. Exactly. And, and you know, the you're talking they lost the game uh, uh, at the, the last play, missing a field goal, and then lost the play on the last game uh, with a 52-yard field goal by Kentucky. And, of course, the double overtime loss to BYU. But, you know, we've seen this play out before in Dan Mullen's tenure. With a young team, uh, you go back to 2013 squad uh, when Dak Prescott first uh, started taking over the reins at quarterback, and 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 that season is eerily similar to this season. Uh, you know, in the fact that you know, given that they get beat this weekend, you're talking about a team that was four and six in 2013, having to win those last two games. Uh, the only difference is they get Arkansas at home instead of going to Arkansas, and they have to go on the road for the Egg Bowl. You know, by no means will that be easy to to sweep those last two games, but I think it's a lot more doable now than if we were having this conversation a couple of months ago. And then how significant would that be with all the uh, ter- turmoil and all the close losses to still get this team to a bowl game and have a month of bowl preparation and practice? I mean, that's huge. I mean, the – you know, we see it said all the time as coach speak, but it is a mini spring practice. I mean, you're talking 14 or 15 extra practices. You know, the first week of that is usually the younger guys, the true freshmen that are red shirting, getting a lot of practice reps, and and you know they just help your future even more so. And and he keeps that bowl streak alive in Starville that that they're pretty proud of. And you know, I, I just think it, it would be. A, not only getting to a bowl, but for these guys to grow up and to, and to have that opportunity to earn their own bowl game. Because a lot of these guys on the team, 
you know, nothing against them, but they were in minor roles or they were riding the coattails of the team that went to the Orange Bowl. You know, they, you know, a lot of coaches have, have pointed at that this year. Hey, they got to, they got to collect the bowl gifts and, and enjoy all of that, those surroundings that come with bowl events, but they didn't really do much to earn those rights. But now this is their chance to earn their own bowl gifts and to earn that right. And then talk about the way this team has developed. The offense, and that's Dan Mullen's specialty, has really seemed to improve as the years gone on. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald, he you know he had to win the job in the spring and into the fall, and even after the first game. But he's really started to come on and get comfortable. He's had five, I believe, hundred yard games, and then is coming off a historic performance of. 209 yards passing and 184 yards rushing, I believe, against Texas A&M and really dominated that game. I think he's only the third quarterback in in, in 20 years to put up that kind of stat line in in a contest. We just kind of talk about Nick Fitzgerald and his development. You know, he's grown up. He's making better reads. He's always been able to to run the football well. And, and, you know, even before the season, you know, most people that that cover – Mississippi State would agree that, that he is a better runner than Dak was. Uh, he, he's a step faster than Dak. He's a little bit bigger than Dak. Obviously, he still struggles with accuracy, just like Dak did his sophomore year. But, you know, just getting out of that shadow, you know, it didn't matter if it was going to be Nick Fitzgerald, Damian Williams, Nick Tiano, whoever was going to face that huge shadow of being that guy to replace Dak Prescott. And, you know, when you look at that situation, that's that's a pretty – that's a pretty big mountain to climb to get over that. You're talking about one of the best players, if not the best player in school history. And, you know, Aries Williams just stepped up at running back. He's starting to become that grinded out guy that they can turn the clock and, and move the change. And they did that often against Texas A&M. But, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of guys growing up. It's been Fred Roth becoming the player everybody thought he would be is the go-to receiver and just a lot of things coming together and, you know, the surprising thing, as I said earlier, has been the offensive line of late, especially with the injuries. Because last week, Deion Calhoun suffered a, a high ankle sprain in the BYU game. And he, I uh, believe, he came back this past week for the first time and started. But that ankle started bothering him in the second half. And his backup, Michael Story, who started for Calhoun, the past couple of games, he wasn't able to go, so they had to move back up left tackle Elton Jenkins to left guard. So, I mean, they had to move some pieces around, and they ended up having their best showing of the year. So I, I just think it's just, uh, you know, overall it's just a, a lot of inexperienced guys growing up and a lot of frustrations that they were able to take out against Texas A&M. And, uh, you know, Nick Fitzgerald, when you look at his stat line and what he's been able to accomplish – this is a young guy that's, uh, barring injury, is going to throw for over 2,000 yards and rush for over 1,000 uh, in his first year as a starter, replacing such a transcendent player like Dak Prescott. That's still pretty good and something to build around for the future. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they, they will lose the pieces on the defensive side and on the offensive line. But, you know, I, I think when you look at the roster right now, Drew, the guys that are making plays, a lot of them are sophomores or younger. And that obviously bodes well for the future. And, you know, it, it, it's always tough when you're not one of the elite SEC teams to just bounce back and replace talent. I mean, you're looking you're looking at NFL right now, and Mississippi State not only has guys in the NFL, but they have some 
some top tier guys in the NFL. When you're looking, you know, you're talking Dak Prescott, Preston Smith, KJ Wright, Bernard McKinney, you know, guys like that, Chris Jones, I mean, several others that. Pleasure Cox. Are, exactly, that are not, you know, especially those guys that just left the program this past year or two, not to mention guys like Deronye Wilson and Beniquez Brown that should be on your team right now. You know, I don't think the program, I think it's getting there, but I don't think the program is where they can just bounce back and replace those guys like you would see in Alabama or in LSU. So it's going to take them a little bit longer to bounce back when you lose talent like that. But you can see now that there's still talent in the program. It's just a matter of getting them sped up to the process and, and getting getting to where they're comfortable and it's all muscle memory on the field. And then talk about uh, the defensive side of the ball. Really, offensively, they've started to kind of come of age. Aris Williams coming off, as you said, the 140-yard game against Texas A&M, tr- uh, complimenting uh, Nick Fitzgerald with a running game. Uh, and as we've said, we've seen Fred Ross start to become more consistent at wide receiver. But defensively, it's really been a struggle. Uh, Peter Sermon taking over, uh, kind of changing things schematically to a 3-4. But, uh, just uh, you know, they played a little bit better against Texas A&M. But I know uh, Dan Mullen and, and uh, Peter Sermon are still uh, not satisfied with where they are. You know, a big reason last week, uh, Drew, was they got some seniors back. A.J. Jefferson returned from injury at defensive end. Kevon Coleman, uh, senior safety return, a guy from Alabama. He's, uh, you know, just having their leadership back on the field, and especially in the secondary where they've had so many injuries, you know, just getting that leadership and and, and that older experience back was a a huge, huge lift for them last week. And, And, you know, once again, I point to a couple of younger guys, freshman Marquis Spencer and, and Jeffrey Simmons on that defensive line that are starting to make plays every week now. And Mark McLaurin, sophomore, is in that same boat. I believe Mark now has three or four takeaways in the last three or four games. And, you know, those guys are just coming of age before our eyes. You know, obviously they face a huge challenge this weekend, but that'll be another good step for them, you know, to – a lot of them have not played in Bryant-Denny Stadium and, and not experienced that. So that'll be another good step for them. But, you know, I, I think you're starting to see guys get comfortable in that 3-4 scheme, and, and you're starting to see younger talent take over as well. And then talk about that. Talk about, uh, first of all, uh, this uh, Mississippi State defense and then what they face uh, with this Alabama offensive group. Alabama been able to run the football pretty well this year, kind of a four-headed attack with Jalen Hurts, uh, Bo Scarborough going off his best game, Damian Harris, and then uh, Joshua Jacobs. Uh, offensive line that has uh, steadily improved, but now they uh, it'll, it'll be a big challenge uh, for Mississippi State, but I'm sure that the, the goal is always they're going to be trying to slow down the Alabama run game and make Jalen Hurts beat them from the pocket. Exactly, and you know that was the big key last week. I think they they shut down A and M's run game with Keith Ford and those guys early. Travion Williams, you know, they held them to 117 yards for the whole game. And this is an offense for the Aggies that had been rushing for 250 yards a game. They took that away from them early. That's, excuse me. That's going to be the same game plan this weekend against Alabama. You know, I mean, it's no secret that you cannot allow them to get five or six, seven yards of carry and allow Hurts to do what he wants to in the in the passing game. You know, he's still a young quarterback. You can force him into mistakes, but 
if you don't make them one-dimensional or try to make them one-dimensional, then it's going to be a long day. And, you know, I don't think the game plan is really much different than it was last week against Texas A&M. And then uh, with, is the key to the defense this week, is it going to be that linebacker core? Because Richie Brown is the leading tackler. He's been so productive for now about three years for the Dogs. Uh, and then you got young players like Leo Lewis. Uh, but do, in your mind, is the linebacker core the key, or what group has got to play the best for that deep, for the, uh, the Bulldogs' defense to have uh, some success? Well, they go hand-in-hand. You know, last week they were Richie Brown, Leo Lewis, Trevor Jones. Those guys were very successful at linebacker because they weren't taking on any blocks. And that credit goes to guys like Jeffrey Simmons and Nelson Adams, A.J. Jefferson up front. You know, they were taking on all the blocks and freeing Richie and Leo up to go make plays, which is what they did. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this offense for uh, uh, for for uh, for the Bulldogs, Fitzgerald is of course going to have to be very productive. But you know Alabama has been preparing for him. They've been very tough against the run and making teams one dimensional. How do you expect Mississippi State to kind of try to attack this Alabama defense, which uh, many think is the best in college football? Well, I mean, Drew, at this point of the season, you are what you are. You know, you've got to do what you want to do. And, and you have to be successful with it. I don't think Mississippi State can come out there. You know, they're going to have to take some deep shots just to open things up. But, you know, you're not going to go in there and throw the ball 45 times and expect to beat Alabama. You're going to have to have success on the ground, whether it's Beast Gerald or Aries Williams, you know, you or what other backs they have, you know, and kind of do it by committee because you have to stick with what you do well because, if you try to get cute and tricky and do things your guys are not comfortable doing, then it can get ugly quick in Alabama. And, you know, you're you're not going to beat them on the edges. And, it, you know, when you look at the teams that have beaten Alabama or given them close games, how have they done it? They've done it running straight at them. You know, you have to go with your strength. Now, that may not be enough for Mississippi State this weekend, but I don't expect them to, to really do anything different than what they've done the past couple of games in the run game. And then, Paul, what, what is your feel? I know this team's got to be confident coming off this big win. How do you how do you expect them to compete with the Tide this weekend? You know, they got to have some turnovers. You know, they've got to make some plays on defense. They have to be aggressive on defense like they were this past week against A&M. They have to force the action. You know, their corners played a lot more press man coverage against Texas A&M, and that's a pretty good receiving core they did that against. But, you know, talking to some guys this week, they said that was their best chance was to hit the receivers early and hit them on the line of scrimmage. You know, a lot of complaints have been thrown around over here about the receivers. I mean, the the DBs playing 10 yards off the ball and off the receiver and, and just allowing those short passes. But they took that away last week against Texas A&M. And I think they got to have that same mindset this week against Alabama. And then finally, uh, and this is Paul Jones, uh, the uh, publisher of uh, Bulldogs 247, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. A big day for Ben Howland yesterday. Uh, they came into the state of Alabama, Auburn High School, Garrison Brooks. Uh, a lot of people thought with his late visits to North Carolina he might end up at Tar Heel, but we know his father has been a longtime member of the Mississippi State staff. And uh, Big Boone, once again, great recruiting job, as has been since he's arrived in Starkville by Ben Howland. He has another top 15 class for him, and you know he, he got the top two guys in the state with Nick Weatherspoon, a five-star on 24/7 Sports, and then Keyshawn Vizel, the number two player in the state from Lawrence County, 
and of course getting Garrison. That was a long, drawn-out recruiting process, and and you know it went back and forth for the longest time, even up until the the night before signing day. But you know that was a, another huge class because you know Keyshawn is available. He's a guy that can play the three and the four, and Garrison is obviously a, an outstanding stretch four guy, and they needed that because their front court is so young right now, and not many pieces. Uh, in that front court, their back court is is pretty much set for a couple of years now with the guys they brought in last year, and then adding Nick this year. But they, I think, the biggest point of emphasis was securing that front court and getting more guys in there for depth in the future. And I think they did an outstanding job of that. And now we've uh, uh, we've uh, transitioned to the new era at athletic director John Cohen, uh, giving up the baseball duties to transition uh, to. Uh, the AD's job in Starkville, and he hires his replacement, did not hire from within, went to get one of the great young coaches in college baseball, an assistant for Paul Maneri at LSU, Andy Canazero. Your thoughts? I mean, he he is energized, I'll say that. You know, he's one of the, the hot and up-and-coming names in college baseball, and a lot of people have talked well about him and his work at LSU and his time as a New York Yankee scout, and you know, that, that program kind of speaks for itself that, that they would, you know, John Cohen, that was his number one guy, and, and that's who he had pinpointed even before he interviewed for the athletic director's job at Mississippi State. And, you know, it had leaked out before then, and he knew John would have a plan if he stepped away from baseball to have a guy he felt comfortable in taking over. But, you know, this guy's very well respected in the South and, and in recruiting circles with families. You know, and I thought it was an outstanding hire. Obviously, uh, we'll know for sure here in a couple of years, and, and that's when uh, push comes to shove and, and results are all that matter. But, you know, I think it'll be a pretty good transition. And uh, is he going to make any changes to the staff, or is the staff going to say somewhat intact that John Cohen had hired uh, for this season? I'd be surprised if there were any. I expect him to keep Gary Henderson and Will Coggin on board. You know, if you were talking, Drew, about an established head coach that had his guys with him, I think you might have seen that. You could see that situation playing out. You know, if a head coach has his longtime pitching coach wanting to come with him, but that's not the case with Ken Zaro. You know, he's a he, he's an assistant coach, first time head coach, and you know, Gary Henderson's one of the most respected pitching coaches in the country, and, and was well thought of during his time in Kentucky. And Will Coggins done an outstanding job with this recruiting class that they just signed, and, and he did a great job of keeping things together in between the transition between Cohen and Canazaro. So, I mean, it's uh, I think it'll be a, a, a staff that'll stay intact, and, uh, you know, he'll depend and obviously rely on those guys a lot to talk to. And then finally, uh, do you expect Mississippi State to give Alabama a game for four quarters and have a chance to win late? You know, I, I think injuries may play a toll on Mississippi State in the trenches. Uh, that may come to play, but, you know, I, I think they're playing with confidence and that may keep them in the game early. But like I said, they, they're going to have to force the action. They're going to have to get some balls bounced their way and get some turnovers. Well, Paul, we always appreciate the conversation. Uh, let everybody know, of course, about your website. You do a great job for 24-7 sports in your Twitter feed and what you're working on. I know it's a busy time Mississippi State Athletics. That was Paul Jones from Bulldogs 247 talking to our own Drew DeArmond. But uh, that two hours went by really fast. But, you know, 
figure it was a pretty good show. But thank you all for listening, whether it's live or in the podcast. Shout out to Bubba. Shout out to Kevin, who gave us some calls, talked to us about football, as well as Redfish, who gave us a solid 45 minutes of his time. But that's it for this episode of BAMS Radio. We'll be back next week, hopefully celebrating another Alabama win. But until then, everybody have a great rest of your week, a safe weekend, and roll tide.